In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. This is a CBC Podcast. This might be a bit of a broad question, Harv, but have you consumed much media lately? I'm talking TV, movies, the radio, anything. Okay, aside from podcasts, I watch a lot of cricket. Does that count? I mean, I don't know if there's much romance in cricket, so I I might have to take a roundabout route to my point here. (laughs) Okay. When I've been watching TV lately or just consuming any media, it's a whole lot of this. You know, I just always thought I'd be married with kids by now, but I still haven't found the one. You've never even had a boyfriend. Choose me. Marry me. Let me make you happy. My dream wouldn't be complete without you in it. We... All deserve love. It's the very best part of being alive. Cause you're double vax, but you're still single AF. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Oh, Elena, I am fully aware. <laughs> I have seen a lot of Bollywood movies. <laughs> These movies have nothing but romance. Nice. So, yes, that's not a surprise for me. Right. I mean, yeah, we're talking about the question, why are you single this episode? And it's not just Bollywood. Media is obsessed with romance. I think it's not only that. It's that. All of these movies and shows and songs make it feel like finding a partner should be the driving force of your life. And that if you're single for a long time, like me, there must be a negative reason for it or something wrong with you. And I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> there is nothing personal about this in this episode. Okay, okay, fine. Leave <laughs> us alone. This show is produced by a bunch of bitter singles. What's your point? How has singleness been seen in your life? Uh, it is a little bit of a long answer. Oh. The, so the first part is uh, I'm from India. And at that time in India, there was no such thing as dating. Mm. And second part was, but not to worry, there was always that nagging for uh, singles to get married. Mm. But then there was a threshold, like uh, the nagging actually became, started becoming obnoxious after you have crossed 30. So I was smart. <laughs> I got married before I was 30. So uh, I was good. <laughs> You're like, I don't, I can't, I don't want to deal with this. Let's just, let's just not. Exactly. I'm really looking forward to hearing where some of these pressures come from and talking to some other single folks about their experiences with this pressure, you know, whether they want to be in a relationship or not. My name is Salma Hindi. I, I usually say I'm an engineer by day, stand up comedian by night. I'm a Muslim woman, visibly Muslim. I come from an uh, immigrant Egyptian family and I guess lots lots of content about being single. 
I'm 28 and single, which to my parents means that I'm old enough to be a mother of four, but I'm too young to be allowed to stay out past 10 p.m. So I'm an engineer, but I'm still trying to do that math. I understand you get asked uh, these questions about being single a lot. Can you tell us about a time you were asked, why are you single? Oh my gosh. Well, for starters, uh, by my mom all the time. (laughs) Actually, the first time I had heard it was when I was younger, also by my mom. I must have been in like undergrad or something. Um, My mom had hopes for me getting like married (laughs) very early on, you know, like the day I hit puberty was the happiest day of her life. (laughs) So I I remember her just kind of being like, why are you single? And then I didn't understand when she was asking it to me. I was like, I don't know, like, no, I don't have a partner. Like, (laughs) these are the logistical answers. What she then elaborated and tried to say was like, you're from a good family, you're educated, you're like, you know, not horrible to look at, basically. (laughs) You must be doing something. I was like, what do you mean? And then I think she was trying to say like, you're probably too picky. Uh, You're probably driving them away. Uh, You're doing comedy. So you're uh, really turning the right guys off. Or uh, me being like sexually promiscuous in secret, which is definitely a fear and a thought that they've probably had my whole life. So they think like no guy is going to approach that with a 10 foot pole. That's what they think in their mind. Mm. Yeah. And, and and with with families, it's like you're trying to rebel against the the marriage institution. My parents really mm. think that. They're like, Samba, why do you hate marriage? <laughs> I'm like, what? Who said that? He's like, you hate marriage. You hate the concept of getting married. And I'm like, I actually really want to. I really want to find a partner. But they're just like, they, they don't hear that. They hear like, I hate you and everything you stand for. <laughs> oh. yeah. So so for the record, only religious guys are good guys, just for the record? <laughs> yes, for my mom's record. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. 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 Oh and gosh. God forbid if he's not uh, um, Egyptian Muslim. Oh, oh, he won't be. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I can tell you from now. He will not be. Is that your mom's expectation? In the religion is a necessity actually mm. like they would not see it as a valid marriage if, it, if it's not in the religion and my, uh, my parents are on the very 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 conservative religious end of the spectrum so this is not the norm for like most muslim families mm. i felt like for a, a, a so many amount of years everyone was bracing themselves for like what disappointment is she gonna bring home kind of <laughs> now they're just kind of like okay doesn't seem like there's any point in uh having hope Aww. yes which is a good thing because then they're off your back yeah, yeah absolutely True. absolutely so uh your family must have seen divorce or people being unhappy in their marriage and uh, they must know that marriage is not a be-all and end-all mm. i i'm just trying to understand the motivations for all this pressure mm. interestingly enough like In the Muslim community, a a big part of why you get married is just to start your life, like to move out. I'm not saying there's not a deep connection there, but definitely a lot of times it's because of logistics and convenience and just honestly, like boundary setting with your own family. Like Mm -hmm. it's a means to achieve your independence a little bit. Right. So Mm -hmm. a lot of my friends got married last year, uh, rendering me almost the only single one left Mm. and at least from the ones my mom knows she'll be like how are your married friends and then 
immediately I'm like miserable. You know what? They're miserable because mm-hmm. they're in quarantine and it's like there's already so much adjusting happening with like getting married and moving in with someone after marriage. And and I told her like some of the problems that some of them are going through with like their in-laws. Mm-hmm. She just starts chuckling and she's like, you know, this is just the way of life. Like life is never going to be perfect and, and nobody's ever going to be happy. And she's like, so it all comes down to duty. Like you just have to do duty and then you'll be happy in the afterlife, basically. <laughs> I was like, Whoa. why? Why can't you be happy in both uh. lives? <laughs> so Salma, after hearing this question over and over and over again <laughs> from your family, did it or does it have impact on you? It was triggering for a very mm. long time. So I kind of had to get some space and just like, Anytime the question was raised or the, the topic was raised, rather, I just leave the room. You know what I mean? That was right. like my boundary setting. Fair, very fair. Like it, it took me a very long time to move out and get distance. Like I moved out at 27. And like, I feel like only now, early this year, at 29 years old, am I actually starting to like sift through my beliefs and values and being like, what do I actually believe versus uh, what I inherited? And um I remember one time I had just like called off something with this guy that I was seeing and that I really, really liked. And then I went into therapy and I was like, oh, I want to text him. I want to text him. And then my therapist was like, what's going on through your mind? Like when you're saying that, I was like, "Uh, maybe I was too over demanding. I was too overbearing. She's like, yeah, keep going. Butcher yourself. I was like, I'm I'm the only one of my friends who's single. She's like, yeah, what does that say about yourself? I was like, I can't hold on to a relationship. I can't make anything work, whatever, whatever. And at the end, I was like, I'm going to die alone. And then she's like, okay. She's like, does this sound like anybody's voice that you know? Mm. Yeah, my mom. (laughs) And then she's like, okay. She's like, I want you to go home and uh, write a a letter to your mom. Like the first half of it is you statements. Like this is what you did. This is what you did. This is what you did. And the second half is I statements. Like this is how I feel. This is what it did to me, whatever. And then I was like, how did I come into this session being like, I want to text a boy and leave being like, I have to write a 15 page letter to my mom. (laughs) Such classic therapy. I mean, if I might uh, get kind of therapisty here, yeah. when you manage to kind of like parse through your mom's voice, mm-hmm. what does your own voice say about being single? Like, how do you feel about it? What's your approach to it when you get through that pressure? I I think I I love it to be honest. Like oh. as soon as I moved out, it was just such a huge relief. Like it, it didn't feel like there was this never ending nagging voice where I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm behind on this. Like I need to make it happen. And out, outcome obsessed voice, you know, like I remember telling my therapist, like, like two and a half years ago, she was like, you're so successful in all these other areas of your life, like comedy and your and engineering and all these things uh, and your social life. And then I was like, yeah, but I don't care about any of that. Like the only thing I care about is, is relationship and like my route to like a marriage. But then, you know, it took it took getting into like a really heartbreaking relationship for me to kind of realize that um, in terms of happiness, once again, relationships won't fulfill that. Like if you're actually in a healthy relationship, it's just going to fade into the background. Like it's just going to be another thing that's a fact in your life. Right. Like obviously there's a lot of growth and beauty in intimate relationships, but it won't be like the be all end all. It won't be your main focus. So, but if anything, I actually think that something I need to work on is being like a little bit more 
proactive in uh, getting out there and dating so that I don't mm. kind of wait for life to happen to me, but more so like, okay, this man is not going to break into my house. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to go. Yeah. It's kind of a numbers game ultimately to mm. meeting as many people as you can. And you learn so much about yourself when you meet other people, right? So do you ever get asked this question while dating? Uh, yes, I do, actually. I, I usually get it asked like, compliment, compliment, compliment. Mm. Why are you still single? Right, of course. <laughs> first, I think I would turn it back on them. Like, I would be like, well, well why don't you answer that question first? Uh, yeah, we're both in this situation for the same reason, buddy. <laughs> exactly. And then I'm like, are you waiting for me to be like, oh, yeah, well, I'm actually a psychopath. Like, well, I'm actually <laughs> a serial killer. Like, what are you waiting for me to say? Yeah. I usually answer it in a truthful way, though. I I, I say uh, I came from a, a pretty conservative background so I didn't start dating until I was like 27 mm. and then I would say that uh also I, I had a lot of really low self-worth growing up like I didn't really mm. think that it was this was something that I deserved or it was like something for me mm-hmm. but yeah I feel like that usually answers the question but it's I don't think it's what they're expecting like usually they're expecting mm. me to be like well yeah I'm crazy <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> I really like what you were saying about letting go of the outcome-obsessed voice and realizing that a relationship isn't going to be the thing to make you happy. Yeah. I think just being a single person in the world, you kind of, you know, you look around at your friends who aren't single. You look around at, you know, media and stories and you're like, oh, well, apparently being in love is the best thing and relationships are supposed to be the center of your life. I want to be that person who's okay with being single you know but it's hard Mm. do you have any advice for for trying to get to that place honestly like I think a really big part of it is having optimism and faith that it will happen Mm. but also not being so fixated and obsessed with trying to get into a relationship because I feel like those people end up missing out on so much beauty and enjoyment and and like they prevent themselves from like adventure or or spontaneity or friendships or other connections because they're like no I'm so focused on this one thing but yeah I I think an activity that I did for example was basically write a list of all of the things that you want to feel when you're with someone Mm. so I'm like you know I'm looking to feel heard seen understood I'm looking to feel special I'm looking to feel secure I'm looking to feel respected whatever I'm not looking to feel anxious unclear discarded you know what I mean Mm. all these horrible things feelings that a lot of people do feel when dating or in certain relationships Mm -hmm. so that's kind of helped center myself a little bit more in like the dating process like being like how do I feel when I'm around this person as opposed to like what are they thinking what are, yeah. How do they feel about me? Then, yeah, you go about it more with like a sense of joy and lightness, you know, as opposed to like, this is something that I'm lacking in and it's on my to-do list and I have to get there, and, yeah. you know. So regardless of who asks, is why are you single an inappropriate question? Mm. I can't imagine a situation where someone asking me, why are you single? being a good thing like I I feel like my work manager asked me that or my director like I would feel personally attacked (laughs) if a friend asked me it too I would be like what do you mean immediately I feel gaslit by the question the question is putting all the blame on me 
So is there something you'd prefer to be asked instead? I think a better question would just be like, how is the search for a partner going for you? Or uh, or how is your romantic life? Because some people might not even be proactively searching for a partner, but, you know, just, just kind of like, uh, I met up with friends, for example, from undergrad and they were like, so are you talking to anyone right now? Like, are you dating anyone? I liked that question a lot better because it's way less confrontational or like doesn't put the blame on anyone or anything like, and you're going to get the same information out of it, which is like, I could be like, no, actually I'm not talking to anyone. Uh, I'm just so focused on my work. Whereas why are you single just implies, yeah, what is inherently Mm. wrong with you that's stopping you from being in a relationship? Mm -hmm. I I would argue that like it's it's more brave to not settle and to know that what you're looking for is out there as opposed to just being too afraid to wait for it. And then Mm. just, just settling just so that, you know, you don't have to endure these personally attacking questions anymore. My name is Brittany and I'm from Chicago. So I grew up in the evangelical church and I chose not to date in high school. And so when I went to college, I had a lot of friends who asked me routinely, why don't you have a boyfriend? Why are you single? And I uh, I was asking myself that question a lot too. And I didn't know what to disclose to people because part of the reason was learning that I was gay and not really knowing how to admit that to myself and not being ready to date women. And I also was in a faith crisis. The reason I chose not to date in high school was because I felt that God called me to be pure quote unquote and to abstain from dating until I met my future husband so I don't know why these things even come up but people talk all the time about like well when did you lose your virginity and like how long have you been with your boyfriend just like these conversational topics they're innocent enough questions but when I was wrestling so much with my own identity and understanding parts of myself that I'd never considered before was a very loaded question. And they didn't know how invasive it was. If I could tell another closeted person anything right now, who maybe gets this question a lot, is that you don't have to be dating anybody to be who you are. You are perfectly valid. And I hope that if partnership is something you want, that you find it. I think having a conversation about what relationships are in your life is a good alternative. It's not very conventional, but I think it's a perfectly lovely question to ask someone like, who's in your life right now? Who do you see most often right now? I would feel just very endeared to receive that question. I'm Trana Winter, a writer, comedian, singer, basically Barbra Streisand minus the money and some of the talent. And I'm Thomas LeBlanc, a gay Quebecois host and producer who's really, really, really into Celine Dion. We're the hosts of Chosen Family, a CBC podcast where we speak to our heroes about what it means to find community in the creative process. Chosen Family is available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. 
As with so many of the episodes we've done, people can be asked this question and can be single for, for lots of different reasons. Some people aren't interested in romantic relationships, and sometimes people don't experience sexual attraction, and sometimes people fall into both categories. Like couples after five years of marriage? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, doesn't this sound like the, the well-worn heterosexual trope of the ball-and-chain marriage? <laughs> anyway, we're going to be speaking to someone who's asexual and aromantic about getting this question. My name is Yasmin Benoit, and I'm a model and aromantic asexuality activist from the UK. It's weird, because like I've never really wanted to use the term single so whenever like the topic of like me being single comes up I'm always like oh yeah you guys think I'm I'm single because I've never really thought of myself as being single just because I've never started dating mm -hmm. right when you're like 10 no one says you're single mm. when you're 11 <laughs> no one says you're single right when you're 13 some might say you're single and by 15 people say you're single and I'm like well nothing's changed between me being 10 and me being 15 like my orientation hasn't changed my actions in terms of romantic relationships haven't changed so why are you now describing me as single as though I was an option but I never was an option mm -hmm. but I usually I, I would just tell them I'm aromantic and I don't date so I guess that technically makes me single I guess <laughs> so since Jasmine you are our Google <laughs> uh, let me ask you a question. You would have done a uh, plenty of research on the uh, the personality you have. Should I call it a personality? What's the right term to use? Um, I mean, it's more of an orientation, orientation. rather than a, than a personality type. Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. Maybe this is a good time for anyone who doesn't know uh, to define what is asexuality and what is aromanticism. Well, being asexual just means experiencing little to no sexual attraction, and being aromantic just means experiencing little to no romantic attraction, which isn't necessarily the same thing, although I guess people are kind of taught to group mm. them together, and for a lot of people, they do overlap, but not for everybody. Mm. Some of us, like me, don't experience either, but there are lots of asexual people who do still experience romantic attraction, and they want romantic relationships, and then there's mm. loads of aromantic people that aren't asexual and just aren't here for the relationships, but are having all the sex. So, you know. <laughs> uh, if you feel okay getting into this, Yasmin, what was it like uh, realizing you were Aero and Ace? I mean, it didn't really bother me because at the time, I mean, I, I always say I realized at around the same time as everyone seemed to realize that they weren't. Right. So, <laughs> that weird period where like, I don't know, puberty kicks in and, and everyone starts acting real crazy all of a sudden. And then the girls are fighting each other in the, in the canteen or mm. cafeteria over boys and all the boys are like, I fancy you want to go out. And it's like, go out where? We're 10. Where are we going? <laughs> I thought it was all so silly. And I literally told my mom, I want to go to an old girls school for secondary school. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. I had this dumb theory that like no one would care about sex or romance if there were no boys. Which was stupid. Because then when I went there, all the girls mm -hmm. felt deprived of boys. And therefore were 10 times more focused on it than they would have been otherwise. <laughs> and consequently, everyone noticed that I wasn't so wound up. And therefore... Mm -hmm then made more of an issue of me being like asexual when I wasn't bothered about it. But everyone else would be like, oh, what's going on with her? And that's when I was like, 
oh God, should I be thinking about that? What is going on with me? <laughs> but did your peers bother you because uh, you you didn't care about boys? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there were there were the lesbian theories, there was the daily <laughs> quizzes, there was the showing me explicit stuff to get a reaction out of me. Oh my gosh. Like thinking that I was just mentally slow and therefore trying mm. to treat me like I was mentally slow, which is weird. Oh. And yeah, so it definitely uh made a difference. Right, yeah. But you said you're a model. And uh, at least the impression is that there's a lot of uh, romanticism, there's a lot of sexuality and all, all that stuff. Does that, uh, do you encounter that as an issue uh, in your line of work? Um, I don't know. It's funny because people always ask that as though we have like gangbangs on set or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was not going that far. But... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you kind of just stand there and get your picture taken, really. I think, yeah. I don't know, I feel like in the industry, people don't really care what your orientation is. I think it's just more perplexing for people on the outside because they'll see, like, images or especially if it's, like, lingerie and people read into it a mm -hmm. lot. Like, I hadn't realized how much people buy into the advertising and think it's, like, mm -hmm. an accurate reflection of reality. They think if you're modeling lingerie, then you must be... I don't know, that I went and had sex with someone straight after that picture was taken or something. <laughs> it's like, no, I was just wearing the outfit for two hours and yeah. then I went home. Like nothing, yeah, yeah. nothing okay. happened. But yeah, I know it is uh, something that kind of challenges people's perceptions of asexuality in that sense. Because I know I think people just have a kind of a subconsciously a specific idea in mind and it doesn't really compute with me very well, usually. Mm. What are some of those things people have in mind? You know, I would, when I tell people I'm asexual, they're usually like, oh, you don't look asexual. Right. Like, well, why are you wearing that? Or you have makeup on and you've done your hair. Like, that's not what I pictured. And asexuality is usually represented by like nerdy white guys or like girls next door. So yeah, the, the, the image uh, I would say most people would have and uh, would be a person who just doesn't care about the body and doesn't try to even look clean or, and I should use the word sexy and all, that's the kind of image that pops into mind, right? A am I am I going in the right direction? Yeah, seemingly that is what people seem to think. And it's, it's unfortunate because it's like the idea that if you're not sexually attracted to anyone, that you just let yourself fall into complete mm -hmm. disrepair <laughs> and that you just don't care about yourself at all if you're not attracted to someone, if you don't want someone to be sexually attracted to you. Right. I was like, are you really only like brushing your teeth because you want someone to be attracted to you? Like, because you <laughs> wanted to get laid? Don't you just do things because you want to look nice for yourself? <laughs> Going off of some of what we've been talking about with uh, parents and stuff, what are some misconceptions you find about being ace and or aero? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> I always say that, like, if, if you're asexual, people think there's something wrong with your body. And if you're aromantic, people think there's something wrong with your soul. So mm. for asexual stuff, I usually get, like, very, like, biological <laughs> questions or somewhat psychological questions, like the whole did you get molested thing. Um, that comes up a lot, strangely. Mm. Like, do you have some kind of trauma? And I'm like, wow, we just met, and that's an inappropriate question. <laughs> or it goes into the, well, do you mask? Debate, blah 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 um and then for like the aromantic stuff it's you know so you just don't like any human ever 
you have no emotions, you're a psychopath. <laughs> so you name it, I've, uh, I've heard it. I actually got called Ted Bundy a few weeks back, which was a new one. <laughs> so Whoa. Ted Bundy. I don't know. Slightly extreme comparison, but okay. Yikes. <laughs> There's literally no in between. It's, oh. like, it's like you're either like a hopeless romantic or you're a serial killer and that's that. And it's weird. I know. I think it just shows like, I don't know, like the, the strange emphasis that our society places on like sexual and romantic attraction. And I guess because a romantic love is put on like this absolute pedestal as being like the epitome of human connection. So people assume if you don't feel that, if your mind just isn't like interested in that kind of love, then you have like something seriously lacking in your brain. Mm. So because of uh, your orientation, uh, on a day-to-day -day life, does it hinder you in any way because you are not for, uh, you're not forming bonds? Uh, also, you know, eventually uh, your close friends would get married or will have some kind of relationships. So basically, in in nutshell, you don't feel you're missing out on anything. No, no, fortunately, fortunately not. I feel there are like pros and cons to everything. And I feel mm -hmm. like, I don't, I feel like I almost have like less to worry about. Because mm. sometimes I'll, I'll see people who are like, they're not asexual and not getting laid is stressful for them. <laughs> and then the process of getting laid and finding mm -hmm. someone to be with is stressful. And then finding romantic, being single is stressful. Finding the relationship is stressful. Maintaining the relationship is stressful. Mm -hmm. And then the breakup is stressful. Mm -hmm. And then they do it all over again. So I feel like I actually have two very significant less things to worry about, which means I can just focus on like other things that I find fulfilling. And to be honest, platonic relationships tend to last longer because people place less rules on them. Mm -hmm. And less expectations. And you can take platonic relationships further. I would be totally happy to like raise a kid or a pug with a friend. Mm. Um, and I would get a mortgage with a friend. And mm -hmm. you know what? Would probably be more practical. So, so, so uh, Jasmine, uh, this is uh, then what would be an inappropriate and or appropriate question uh, for you? I mean, I guess the appropriate ones are just like, oh, what is it? Like, tell me, like, I don't know, about your experience, really. Like, what does that mean for you is an appropriate one. Inappropriate ones are, uh, do you masturbate? Can you have an orgasm? Did you get molested? Are you mentally ill? Can you take a pill for that? And are you a serial killer? Are probably the inappropriate ones. Oh, my God. So to add this question to either side of that list... Is asking why are you single to someone who's ace and or aero inappropriate? I just feel like out of all the questions you could ask somebody, that should not be your concern. Because not a all asexual people are single. Mm -hmm. And being aromantic, being single doesn't necessarily mean that you, you're lacking something. You can have a bunch of really amazing relationships in your life. So don't worry about the singleness. Mm -hmm. Think about all the other stuff they probably have going on, which is much more interesting. We try to propagate. Just mind your own bloody business. That's the bottom line. <laughs> Honestly, I think if there's one thing that telling people you're asexual and aromantic brings out, it is a strange curiosity and like a, a kind of brazenness that they would not have in any other instance. Like that's the only time in my life a complete stranger will ask me about orgasms. <laughs> and it's like, <gasps> you would not have asked me that if I hadn't have said I was asexual. Mm -hmm. So I'm often thinking, mind your business. <laughs> <laughs> 
My name is Jessica Ayers, and I am located in the panhandle of Florida. So I write a blog called The Singing Widow, and I started writing the blog in 2015, which is about a year after I lost my husband. We were married for almost 11 years when he died. We had just had a baby when I lost him, so it was pretty traumatic. For me, being single was particularly strange, one, because I had been with Justin since I was a teenager. So getting back out in the single world was really daunting to me. I did have people wonder why I was single. Typically, in the beginning, I just let people believe what they wanted to believe about me because it was too hard for me to open up and to tell the truth. And I also thought to myself, what does it matter? You know, it's none of their business of why I, you know, am in the situation I'm in. There was one story in particular where there was um, a man I was seeing and I had met him on a dating app. Because I write a lot of stuff online about my life, he had read about my story and what had happened. And it was very strange because he seemed to know why I was single, yet he wanted to ask me why I was single, decided he wanted to take me out on a date just so he could basically get the juicy details of what happened to me. So that was kind of embarrassing and rude, and I thought it was really strange. When I decided that I was ready to get back out in the world and to just try to get back to somewhat of a normal life, it was really hard because I really felt judged by many people. My advice for a person who knows a new widow or widower, when it comes to their dating life or you know them just being single, the most you can do to just be supportive of whatever decisions or choices that they make. In, in all reality, this is their life. It's not yours. In particular, new, you know, young widows, you know, they're probably going to want to find love again because who wants to go through the next 30 to 40 years just living in the past and never trying to move on? You know, for me, that's what it would have been. But for some of them, they might never want to remarry. And you might have to be accepting of that as well, because in the end, it's really their life and it's their choices. Alrighty, I want to take it back to the top for a second. So we are talking about your vendetta against the media? <laughs> yep. And uh, sorry to get back on my soapbox a bit here, but outside of just entertainment media, there's lots of other areas that kind of present being coupled as the norm and don't really represent single people. Some places I wouldn't have thought of, like financial advice and taxes. Financial advice? Yeah. Like, it's just advice. I mean... Like, taxes. Taxes, sure, but okay. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, we shall see. Because I'm speaking to Renee Sylvester Williams. She's a personal finance journalist who noticed this gap, so she started a newsletter called The Budget, Building Wealth for One. What got you started with The Budget? You know how they say, write what you know? Yes. <laughs> I am single, happily single. I will probably end up being single for most of my life. And mm -hmm. there's just 
you know, just not enough available out there for single people to run a household or retire. We mm. don't have the same advantages that can can come with being partnered. If you kind of paid attention to what's out there, just in terms of the general media that we consume, even a lot of advertising for, for finance products still kind of focus on the idea of a couple. Mm. What were some of those differences that you were noticing that kind of spurred you to look further into this? Those differences in financially how people are treated when they're in couples versus single? Well, okay. Disclaimer, I am not a financial planner. I also do not do taxes. So if anybody's listening to this, please talk to the experts. (laughs) Very fair. When you are partnered up in Canada, taxes are applied to the individuals. Mm -hmm. So for example, as a single person, and a couple that are earning sort of the same income, let's say the single person is earning like 80000 and the couple is earning 80000 in total, they would still pay less individual tax because if you split it, it's $40,000 each. Does that make sense? Oh, right. Yeah, that makes sense. And then there's things like pension income splitting. If you are coupled up and there's, you know, there's a pension mm-hmm. or survivor benefits, I don't have somebody that I can designate that to, Mm. right? I can't designate it to a good friend. I can't really designate it to my brother. But if I was partnered up, I can designate that to my partner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Would you say, you know, both financially and broader, do you think there are systems that discriminate against single people? I would say, I don't think it's an intentional discrimination, but... It's all about redefining the economic, what an economic unit is, right? So for example, or a household unit. So say, for example, I want to golden girls it up with like five of my best friends nice. and their four cats. Love that. Why can't we all define ourselves as an economic unit? So we can leave, I don't know, our CPP to each other. Their pension? Their pension, yeah. So their Canadian pension plan, yeah. Hmm. You know, if... Want a friend of mine wanted to move in with their sibling. Why can't they become a recognized uh, household unit and, you know, leave their CPP to each other? Mm. So going back a bit, <laughs> why do you think there is such a lack of financial services and products uh, marketed towards single folks? Oh, that is a broad question. I would, <laughs> I think it's a com- it's a combination of many things. I think it's a combination of uh, the role of women. Uh, we haven't spent that many decades in the workforce in of itself. Right. Ugh. It wasn't quite that long ago where women couldn't get their own bank accounts. Mm. I mean, we've spent a lot of time as an overall society more focused on the couple and more focused on the family units, mm-hmm. right? And that's been going on far longer than the idea of people choosing to live alone. Mm. Do you think there's any change happening in including single people in things like financial advice and other systems? I think so. Um, I want to say that the attitude towards single people, especially single female identifying people, is changing. Even like when I was growing up, it was changing. There's that removal of the whole, oh, you are not partnered up, therefore something is wrong with you. Right. It's still there, but it is changing to an extent. You know, there isn't that... um, sense of pity that used to happen, I want to say, 30, 40 years ago, Mm. about 
four years ago when I was in New York, I stayed at a hotel and they had rooms specifically for solo travelers. Hmm. So it was like one good size bed. The room wasn't like the size of a double room and you paid kind of the price of just being a solo traveler. Huh. Yeah. When people ask, why are you single? Is there ever maybe a practical intention behind it? Did people ever ask you this thinking about, you know, can you afford a house or things like that? No, it's never been that. It's never been practical. It's never been pragmatic. Mm. Um, when I got asked the question, it kind of revolved around a couple of things. Is why you're single, you're, you're kind of awesome, right? And therefore, you deserve to be partnered up. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's that undertone that you've got this, you've got this, you've got this. All you need is this and you are a complete creature right and i actually had to tell somebody that i'm like you know don't ask me that question tell me more about that time who were you who asked that question it was a friend of mine oh an acquaintance we were out and we were just you know chatting as always having a drink i think we we're grabbing dinner or something and mm. she's just like what well, can i ask you like why are you single um and i'm like well because that's just how it is mm. she's like but you know you're really cool and you're really awesome and all that stuff and i'm like you are insinuating that, yeah, I'm really awesome. Therefore, it is a waste. I am wasted because I am not being awesome with or for someone else. I'm like, I could be awesome for me. Yeah, totally. And my entire attitude is if it happens, great. If it doesn't happen, also great. So you're just going with the flow. Yeah, I have friends. I have family. I love both of them. You know, I don't feel like my life is lacking. Hmm. Would you say overall this is an inappropriate question to ask somebody? Yes, I would definitely say that. If they do not bring it up, don't bring it up, mm. right? Just don't bring it up. Is there a way maybe to to ask about someone's dating life in a way that's not frustrating or intrusive yeah and again this is a you know obviously unique to the person that you're having the conversation with like i would say bring it up in a way that doesn't make them feel less than for not being partnered up right just kind of a classic hey what's going on how's it going work you seeing anybody just kind of like couch it in sort of a whole bunch of several vague questions um i don't think of myself as a single person huh. uh, you know Obviously, outside outside of the work, because that is something that I am very conscious of and aware. But when I move through the world, I don't think of myself. I am Renee and I am single. Hmm. I'm just like, I'm Renee. Hey, how's it going? Hi, my name is Kevio and I am from Mississauga, Ontario. When I was single back in the day, I felt like... I had to really overperform that I loved being single. It becomes really your identity. When and someone asked me that question, that why are you single question, I would immediately throw them every self-help book quote. I would give them like basically a TED talk on how to be independent, that you're whole by yourself, that you don't need anyone else but yourself. So basically, I try to girl boss my way out of intimacy. You'll find out that that is not the way to go about doing things. Honestly, truly, it was from a place of hurt and pain. And I try to mask that as resilience when really at the like late hours of the night, when you start feeling a little bit more lonely, a little bit more like vulnerable, you'll start seeing the cracks. And nobody talks about those cracks because nobody wants to look like they're not independent. 
When someone asks me today, why are you single? Honestly, I don't find any type of way about it just because once I've been more honest where I'm like, you know, I do need sex. I do need intimate affection. I do need someone to talk to in a romantic sphere. That is something that I'm not super fixated on anymore. I am still single, but now it's truly being like single and free and not just single and waiting for someone to come along. Well, I I found it very cathartic. It's really nice to hear that a lot of other single folks feel the same pressures I do, that I'm not, you know, not making it up or anything. Mm -hmm. And hearing how they frame it for themselves and how they stay happy in the face of all this pressure and how they work through it was really helpful, I found. So thank you for indulging me. You are most welcome. And now you know what the world looks like outside of marriage a little bit. Elena, <laughs> frankly, seen. all this while, I thought single people were the luckiest people. Oh, yeah? Not anymore. <laughs> okay. So I will now change it to grass is green on both sides or grass is de- dead on both sides, whichever <laughs> whichever phrase you want to pick. <laughs> the grass is dead on both sides of the fence. It's just yes. so gloomy. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> So let me recap one thing. Yeah. And I want to say it a little loudly. Okay. If somebody is single, that does not mean that person is any less awesome. Aww. Elena, yes, that was specifically said for you. <laughs> I love that. Oh, wow. This is just a really wholesome ending now. <laughs> it's just really sweet. <laughs> I'm Arvinder Radva. And I'm Elena Hutchins-Lyle. Thanks for getting inappropriate with us. A huge thanks to our guests Salma Hindi, Yasmin Benoit, and Renee Sylvester-Williams. You also heard voice notes from Brittany, Jessica Ayers, and Kevy O. Every episode has an accompanying webcomic, and this week it was illustrated by Yana Gamora. You will find it on Instagram at IQ underscore podcast. Also, make sure to visit cbc.ca forward slash IQ podcast for a full transcript of the episode. The sensational singles behind this podcast are Sabrina Birch, Cindy Long, and myself. The show is mixed by Andrew Norton. Our chase producer is Sarah Melton, and our digital producer is Judy Ziegu. Our senior producer is Jeff Turner, and our executive producer is RF Nirani. An inappropriate question is like shooting your shot at the end of a podcast episode. Hey, if you're single and queer and in your mid-20s, I guess, and you like hockey and alt-rock from the early 2000s and long walks in the park, hit hit me up. (laughs) For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.